Our next reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Let us listen for God's word to us today. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at God's right hand as leader and savior, that Jesus might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On August 21, 1965, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, invited to speak at a denominational conference center of the Presbyterian Church in the United States, the PCUS, more informally known as the Southern Presbyterian Church, one of the two branches of the church that reunited in 1983 to become the PCUSA, of which we are a part. Arriving at Montreat that day, the Reverend Dr. King was a day later than expected. He was held up by a trip to Los Angeles to help bring a peaceful resolve to the aftermath of the Watts Rebellion, a days-long uprising ignited by the arrest and beating of Marquette Fry, his brother Ronald, and their mother just outside their home in the Watts neighborhood. To set contacts further, Dr. King arrived in Montreat just three months after Bloody Sunday in Alabama, just five months after the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. All of these, a part of or a reaction to the actions for civil rights happening at that time in this, as our, in this country as we grappled with our long history of racial segregation, voter suppression, and white supremacy. On that day in August, the Reverend Dr. King offered a talk entitled, The Church on the Frontier of Racial Tension, and addressed it to the mostly white congregation assembled whom he called upon as those involved in Christian action in the great Southern Presbyterian Church. Broadly, he spoke of the concerns of the movement, racial reconciliation and reparation, and more as the movement was evolving to speak clearly of systemic issues of poverty, war, lack of opportunity, and disenfranchisement felt by the poor, both black and white citizens. There in that place that day, he was speaking to the church, to clergy, to lay leaders, to congregation members, Easter people, all of them, it was a clarion call for people of faith to take that faith public. He said, 
Whenever a crisis emerges in society, the church has a specific and a great responsibility. It has a real responsibility in the midst of this crisis because the problems involved are essentially moral issues. The church, being the moral guardian of the community, cannot overlook its moral responsibility in this hour. Now, we must admit that all too often the church has been lax at this point. All too often in the midst of social evil, too many Christians have somehow stood still, only to mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. All too often in the midst of racial injustice, too many Christians have remained silent behind the safety and security of stained glass windows. But when the church is true to its nature, when it is true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is always active in, in immaterial social change, seeking to guide and to direct. This is the great challenge facing the church today. Somewhere along the way, we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God. Fifty years later, in August of 2015, Montreat marked the anniversary of Dr. King's presence there with a conference, naming that the agenda of civil rights is yet unfinished and the church's voice still critical. At that gathering, I heard for the very first time the sonorous voice of the Reverend Dr. William Barber, leader of the contemporary Poor People's Movement which is reviving the work begun by King just before his assassination. We heard also from the late Representative John Lewis, who, in reflecting on his friend and movement colleague, was well known for saying that what they did was to get into trouble. Good trouble. Necessary trouble. It was this phrase with which he charged the people gathered some 50 years later, saying, I think it's time for the church to get into trouble again. In fact, the church of God and the people of God from all the way back have been getting into trouble. Sure, it's not always good trouble. Cue Aaron, who melts down the gold of the people to make an idol while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the very commandment of God not to do so. But we're also fairly adept at getting into the kind of trouble that Representative Lewis referred to. We don't have to look much further than the apostles, who are known for it. The book of Acts documents story after story of this kind of trouble, including the one we have today, on this second Sunday of Easter, when Peter and the others found themselves once again before the council in Jerusalem, who were fed up with the persistence of this small band who would just not stop talking about Jesus, his execution, and his resurrection. We are dumped here into the middle of a long and somewhat convoluted story, beginning with the odd deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, apostles who lied to the community. We hear how, regardless of this, the community was growing by leaps and bounds. 
There are quick stories of healings accomplished merely by folks who stand in the shade of, uh, in the shadow of Peter. And the reaction to these signs and wonders by the council in Jerusalem is to get the apostles thrown into prison. In order to make a show to any who were watching that this was the consequence to troublemakers, it was done publicly. Yet the subsequent and almost immediate breakout, facilitated by an angel of the Lord, no less, was under the cover of night. It makes us wonder, wouldn't they want the same public to witness this miraculous event of their freedom, even if it was just for the sanctimonious feeling of comeuppance? But this was not the point. The point came the next day in the story when their disappearance was discovered and the council leaders found the apostles right back again in the temple, doing exactly what had gotten them in trouble the day before. It is here that we arrive at the main event, at least for our purposes in this Easter season, the public witness of Peter and his disciples before the leaders of Jerusalem, testifying to the power of God, who brings life from death, all for the purpose of repentance and forgiveness. The council's public act had been to imprison and to shame. The apostles' public act was to witness, in body and in word, to freedom. There's a wonderful song in our hymnal with which I think you are familiar. The refrain goes like this. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? They could not help it, it seems. They could not keep from telling and teaching and healing and proclaiming to everyone they could because it was so unbelievable still to them, I suspect. What they had experienced of God's power to change the world right before their eyes. How do you keep that to yourself? It's like the very best story that you always want to bring up in every conversation because it always gets a reaction. And this one got a reaction. For not only did they proclaim Christ risen, they also proclaimed him as leader and savior. The reaction they got to this was fear. That of those caught and complicit in a system of perpetual and reactive violence. In this Roman protectorate, even the council leaders were not the true leaders, but rather those given just enough authority to maintain the system as it was. Yet the system as it was, was not working, but for a few the Lucan writer of both the gospel and of Acts points to this again and again as Jesus begins his ministry with the mandate of the prophet Isaiah to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, to proclaim jubilee. It was this very Christ about whom the apostles were proclaiming and teaching the one who Rome had tried to dispatch but did not succeed, 
the word had not died hanging on that tree. The desire had not been laid to rest behind a stone barrier. It was alive and being attested to and testified to by those who had seemed even more insistent to continue to get into trouble, just as Jesus had before them. And so I think we see, not only from Jesus, but from the church that grew up in his name, that public witness is inherent to our life as disciples. We cannot help but witness to a leader and savior who rules not with violence and separation, but with forgiveness and love. We cannot help but get ourselves into good trouble, necessary trouble, trouble that challenges and loves the world enough to confront again from the lens of faith the pain and separation, the hunger and violence, the sorrow we live amid. I know that this is and has been a challenge for various embodiments of the church from as far back as Peter and the apostles. The Reverend Dr. King spoke to it in Montreat in 1965, as did the Reverend Dr. Barber and Representative Lewis 50 years later. So when off, so often we in our culture see how this public witness is used by ideological factions on right and left to co-opt Jesus, to make Jesus in our image, rather than we in the image of God. Dressing him up with all of the terms and symbols that suit our limited notions of righteousness and power. The ease of this has undermined ours and society's trust in what public witness looks like that is true and faithful and obedient to the one whose body we make up. In the mainline church of which I have been a part my whole life, and in which so many were raised, our reticence to speak up is born of many things. Uncertainty for what is the right time, the right topic, the right place, fear of abusing power or upsetting it, that nagging sense that somehow faith and politics do not intermingle, except that they do, for faith is inherently a public act. To claim Jesus is Lord as leader and savior is to try our very, very best to live and act and speak as though what we say here matters for our whole lives and for our whole world. Not just because we think it matters for us as individuals or in some hopeful eternity, but because we know it matters for the quality of life and freedom and flourishing of people and creation right now. It is not meant to be kept to ourselves. This is the good news of the gospel for which the apostles were persistent and public witnesses, even when it got them in trouble. When it comes to faithful public witness, what we can be sure of is that acts of boundless love and vulnerability that help us to see God in one another, these are of Christ. 
public acts and witness that insists upon the reform of systems that imprison people in poverty, lack of opportunity, violence, bigotry, and hatred, these are of Christ. Public acts and witness to hospitality that makes a home for those who do not have one, that begins to rebuild a safety for those who do not have it, that strengthen the ties of our community. These are of Christ. We follow in the footsteps of the one who caused trouble, good trouble and necessary trouble everywhere he went, who called his disciples to follow him all the way to the terror of the grave and then met them three days later with words of peace on his lips and bread in his hands. Public witness is an act of Easter people who believe that Christ is risen, and that matters for the world we live in now. It is a fundamentally faithful response to the resurrection that defeated the power of sin and evil in this world and in the world to come. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear that music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing. <laughs>